Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, where you stay up to date in 48 on all things NBA. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside my two co-hosts, Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. Gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? Uh, doing okay, but uh, there's a bit of sadness uh, in uh, World B and my world this week. Uh, we lost a very, very important friend, colleague, and, and ESPN family member over the weekend, uh, Barry Sachs, who was involved in our NBA coverage for many, many years on NBA Tonight and on other shows there. Uh, a mentor to many, a friend to all. Uh, many people have said that if you did a Mount Rushmore of ESPN producers over the 40-plus years of the network, Barry would be one of those people. So uh, we're going to miss Barry a lot, and a lot of people have said a lot of words about him, and I know World B uh, has a few to add. Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, very uh, saddened to see the events that happened over the weekend uh, when he first first learned he had a heart attack on Friday and then uh, eventually passed away on Sunday. Uh, it's not – in basketball, in coaching, there are – people who like to think that most offenses and defenses basically are derivatives of the way Bob Knight coached. They have some form of Bob Knight's coaching in them in all their offenses, defense. I don't think it's out of uh, it's hyperbole to say that producing that goes on at ESPN, probably elsewhere as well. There are some derivatives of how Barry Sachs uh, guided people, his influence on so much of how sports is produced today. Uh, I wasn't directly involved with a lot of his stuff, but everybody who was there for at least a week knew who Barry Sachs was. He always knew that I was a WVU guy and everything. And I got to experience his influence firsthand. My first remote trip in 1998 for NBA Tonight, I was at the All-Star Game in Madison Square Garden. We were doing this show, and things were getting – we were all new doing this on this show, and things were getting a little out of hand, a little chaotic, a little disorganized. And Barry comes in on Sunday, goes in the production truck, and in about five minutes directs everybody, this is what you do, this is what you do. And in five to ten minutes, things had calmed down. The show went great. It was Barry's influence, his direction. And there's a ton of stories about that. You can read on social media if you search them. But he was a epic, epic person at ESPN and will be sorely missed. He was also an unbelievably passionate New York Knicks fan. Uh, he loved his Knicks. And when I was doing a podcast for Pure Hoops Media called Pure Thoughts, I did a show one week on will the Nets ever be New York's team? And I had on Barry and I had on one of uh, World Beast's former colleagues in research, Michael Jackson, who are two, uh, the Barry and, and M. Jacks were two of the most passionate Knicks fans. And I put a clip of it up on my YouTube page yesterday and shared it with a lot of people. And it was funny listening to Barry because Barry couldn't stand the Nets. And he was very, and this, this podcast was, was created in May of 2021. So nearly two years ago. And he correctly predicted exactly what was going to happen with Kyrie Irving and how he and his antics would would be a negative for the Nets moving forward. He he nailed it. I think World B, you commented on that on social media, or maybe somebody else did, said, even from the great beyond, Barry had Kyrie Irving figured out. That's for sure. Well, I'm very sorry to hear that you guys lost a dear friend and former colleague. He certainly will be missed, and our thoughts and prayers are with his family and friends um, during this difficult time. Um, for my opening tip, um, going to share some more positive news here as far as this being one of my favorite days of the year. And you might ask why. And uh, quite simply, I know I'm the odd man out when it comes to this, but I'm not a big football fan. So while I, of course, enjoyed all the Super Bowl festivities here in Phoenix, the commercials and the halftime show today, as we're taping here Monday night, is secretly one of my favorite days because it's the NBA's time to shine. Football is behind us. We've got All-Star Weekend coming up in Salt Lake City. And we're headed into such an entertaining point in the season. We just had the trade deadline. We have buyout guys. And even if you're interested in college hoops, we've got the conference tournaments coming up. And then, of course, the big March Madness, where a lot of lottery players start to really evolve and uh, you know, kind of 
increase their draft stock. So really looking forward to this episode and uh, for the episodes to come as we've got some exciting ball ahead of us. And we hope that all our listeners with us here uh, will continue to be along for the ride. And with that, guys, let's get right into our first quarter. And I, I figured it'd be pretty good if we did a, just a weekend weekend recap as we had a lot of debuts, a lot of big games. And um, Bruce, we'll go ahead and start with you. What What was one game or one component of a game that uh, caught your eye? I would like to talk about one of the worst teams in the NBA, the San Antonio Spurs, a team yes. celebrating its 50th anniversary this season. Uh, they had all kinds of glorious celebrations planned. And uh, as we record this on Monday evening, there's a minute left in the Cavalier Spurs game. They're down by 10. So I think we can reasonably say they're about to lose their 13th straight game. Okay. This team started the season five and two. And they've gone nine, and once they lose tonight, nine and forty-two since November first. They're cur- they're going to be they're, yeah they're going to be fourteen and forty-four, second worst record in the NBA. Uh, they've just got two wins in calendar year two thousand twenty-three. Okay, uh, they traded free agent to be Jakob Pertle for three draft picks and Kem Birch. Pertle, of course, plays center, as does Victor Wenbayama. I think the team appears to be in full tanking for Victor mode. Uh, Pop and R.C. Buford, the general manager, have played this long game successfully twice before. In 86-87, they went 28-54. and They drafted David Robinson with the number one overall pick, knowing they'd have to wait two years for him to get through his military service. But when he did join the team for the 89-90 season, they went 56-26, and an improvement of 35 games, and we know that he went on to a Hall of Fame career and a couple of championships before he retired. And then they did it again. In the 96-97 season, Robinson was lost for the year after just six games. Pop eventually fired Bob Hill and took over the coaching duties as the team went 20-62, and but they won the draft lottery, and they drafted Tim Duncan. Boom. They went on to win five championships over the next 15 years. And now with them comfortably in the bottom four, they appear to be positioning themselves to draft Victor Wenbayama, and they hope history will repeat itself, fellas. Yeah, I like to call that wobbling for Wemby. That's uh, something I've seen <laughs> on Twitter lately, and it, it seems to be the case in San Antonio. Um, don't have a best bet section of tonight's show, um, but a couple of guys that I've – Definitely got my eye right now on is uh, Devontae Graham, who recently just came over from the New Orleans Pelicans. He's currently coming off the bench, but I think he's going to be, for the second half of the season or the last half, uh, a sixth man of the year type candidate. I mean, this guy is going to jack up 20 shots a game, uh, shoots high volume threes. So if you're looking for points or you're looking for three pointers, Graham's a good way to go because the volume shots are going to be there. And then speaking of volume shots, of course, we've always got uh, Keldon Johnson, who has been their main horse offensive scorer all year long. He'll just continue to throw up high volume shots. And now they've had an emerging rookie in Malachi Branham. Uh, He had uh, 18 points tonight on 8 of 11 shooting, so very efficient night for him. Um, But he's also had games this weekend of 27 points and 10 points, shooting at least 15 shots a game. So those are three names that I'm, you know, entertained to just see how many shots they put up a game. I don't think they're going to have much success with wins and losses, Um, but they're wobbling for Wemby and uh, should be a lot of fun to just see these guys uh, throw the ball up at the hoop. Will be. Yeah, I wouldn't, uh, they're not even pretending at this point to uh, put up a fight. The lineup they're throwing out there is, is it's atrocious. I mean, it's just, it's just bad. Uh, there's no other way to to explain it to defend it. Uh, they're they're just going in, as Bruce said, in full tank mode. Um, they're just the kids play hard. They went to double overtime against the Pistons a couple nights ago, a couple games ago. So it's not like they're losing every game by 40 points. Tonight was a fairly close game by NBA, you know, um, tanking standards. So they're just they're not putting a lineup out there to really be that competitive. I mean, they have the worst defense in the league by far. It's not even close. They're getting up almost 120 points per 100 possessions. Opponents are shooting almost 58% effective field goal percentage against them. It's not 
They're just not putting up a you know a lineup out there that's really competitive. Which, if you're tanking or whatever, that's what you want to do. Yeah, no, no question about that. And uh, Roby, what was uh, the game or component of a game that uh, caught your eye this weekend? Uh, Joker's quest for a third straight MVP is really hitting full steam right now. He had, I think, was it last six games, five triple doubles, and his impact on the Nuggets offense continues to be unbelievable in February. So far in February, when he is on the court, they are, the Nuggets are scoring 133.4 points per hundred possessions. When he is off the court, they're scoring 94.1 points per hundred possessions. That's a difference of almost 40 points per hundred possessions. It's unbelievable. They are in February Six when he is on the court, they are plus 32.9 in net efficiency per 100 possessions. When he is off the court, the net efficiency is minus 27.6 points per 100. That means you're getting outscored by almost 30 points per 100 possessions when he is off the court. That is a difference of 60.5 points per 100 possessions. They are better when he is on the court than off. That's ridiculous efficiency numbers on off court. That just doesn't happen in the NBA. And he's a, he's on one of the best teams in the league doing it. It's just an incredible thing he's on. And that it's just an amazing thing that he continues to do what he's doing. And on Monday night, they're locked up in a pretty tight battle with Miami. As we record this, there's about eight minutes left, and it's 94-92, uh, Nuggets leading. Uh, Joker has 25-11-6. He's 11 out of 13 from the floor, going up against Bam Adebayo, who is about as tough a you know, rugged opponent in the pivot as you're going to find in the NBA. Uh, the Nuggets are shooting nearly 60% from the floor and uh, almost 46 from three. So he may not get to the triple-double, although if that game goes to overtime, which it very well could, we might see triple-double number 21 on the season. Uh, that would put him more than double the next highest total, which is Luka with 10. Super impressive numbers there by the Joker. Of course, not too surprised he's stepping up his game as of now because he's got Thomas Bryant trying to take his starting job. I mean, they just got Thomas <laughs> Bryant, so he's going to be uh, – he, he's come, he's gunning for that uh, that starting five spot. So uh, he, he better keep this up or he, he might be in some trouble. But uh, they've got a little tough schedule. Of course, tonight in Miami, they're in a good fight right now, as you mentioned, Bruce. And then the team I wanted to talk about next here, uh, they play on Wednesday, the Dallas Mavericks. They host the Mavericks in Denver on Wednesday night. And uh, the Mavs have been fun to watch. Not sure how much you guys have been able to catch of Kyrie uh, inserted into that lineup. And then, of course, we retreated to Luca returning to action on Saturday in uh, Sacramento. And um, one thing that's really caught my eye since Kyrie has joined the team is just the pace of play. I mean, this team is flying up and down the floor. I feel like more guys are involved. Um, and Josh Green, he, he's another guy. We're not having the best bet section tonight. He's someone I certainly have my eye on right now. I think he's undervalued uh, on the sports books. But that guy's putting up incredible numbers. Had 25 points the other night. He's a superb rebounder for a guard. And he's one of the fastest players up and down the floor. If you watch him, he zips around, moves well without the ball, never is just caught standing. Um, I really like this team. I mean, I had my questions going into this trade. And I'd be curious to hear what you guys have to say about it. But so far, so good with the Dallas Mavericks, with Kyrie Irving paired with Luka Doncic. World, do you want to go first? Well, I mean, the numbers uh, from the other night against Sacramento, when the two were on the court together, they played 30 minutes on the court together. The game went into overtime. But they outscored the Kings by 14 when when they were uh, together on the court. Uh, the off- the efficiency was was there for the two of them. The Mavericks were uh, scoring 127 points per 100 possessions when he, when the two were on the court. The defense was really good on this night too against a you know really good uh, high octane offense like Sacramento. The defense when the two were on the court together only allowed 103 points per 100 possessions. That's really good efficiency at both ends. So I mean we'll see what happens. The thing I looked at numbers wise when when uh, 
when I looked at the game and whatever, it was only one game, so let's not you know, call them a successful deal just yet, although I'm with you, Ross. I think they're going to be good to watch. But I wanted to see how many touches each of them had, the time of possession, where it compared to what they normally would. The time of possession for each player in this game, which is not the fairest of of things because it went to overtime, so you have more minutes. But it was just around their their, their average. Lucas one of the league leaders in time of possession, average you know minutes almost you know ten a game with the ball in his hand. And Kyrie is about five and a half. That's what it was the other night. So it's not much different uh, so far. We'll see if it lasts. But you know their offense and defense were both clicking on this night, even though they ended up taking the L. They pretty much shared the the scoring between them. Kyrie had 28 in that game, and Luca had 27. They lost to Sacramento in overtime as De'Aaron Fox outplayed both of them. But here's a little something from Monday night in a pregame media session that Kyrie had with the Dallas media. Kyrie spoke to the Dallas media before Monday's game with Minnesota and said, he did not want to be asked about his future beyond this season because it would be a distraction for the team. Hello, you are the king of distractions for your team. He, as Dave Wall told us a couple of weeks ago or last week, this guy lacks self-awareness like few human beings I have ever, ever observed or known in my life. He is the king of distractions. So he's using that as an excuse. If anybody really believes that that's the reason he doesn't want to talk about his future next year, well, there's something in Brooklyn that might be for sale. (laughs) Let me tell you something. I use this analogy. I've done it a few times on social media, but I'll keep bringing it up because it's so perfect in this situation. Kyrie Irving complaining about distractions is like Mike Tyson complaining that another heavyweight hits too hard. It just doesn't, there's just no comparison. There's no reason to, how in the world could you possibly, uh, it's a nice gesture if you didn't have all the baggage that you came with. It would sound really good if you didn't have all your history behind it. So it's, you know, it's hollow at best. And, and uh, that's just what I, every time I hear things like that, that's what I think of. It makes you, it reminds you of the old cliche don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. Absolutely. You know what, Worldby, I want to get back to what you had mentioned about this defense with Dallas and how it's kind of picked up. And I think a lot of that is attributed to just the offensive involvement of everybody running up and down the floor, sharing the basketball. That is contagious on both ends of the floor. If you're feeling involved offensively, I mean, they talk about talk about it with big guys all the time. If you feed the big man the ball every so often, he's going to be energized on the defensive end to anchor your defense. We're seeing that from their outside shooting as well. This team is starting to shoot a higher volume three-pointers because Jason Kidd is quite simply encouraging them, you get a stop, let's push it, and if you got an open three, take it. And these guys are relishing that opportunity, and I think it just kind of fuels the defense knowing, hey, if I get a stop, if you're if you're a Tim Hardway who likes to jack up shots, you're probably going to be much more invested defensively if you know, hey, we get a stop here, I can go down and throw one up for, for three points. I think – I think this total mind shift of, of getting Kyrie Irving, knowing they're going to have to play faster. Before, it was just the Luka Doncic show. So everybody would kind of stand around. He'd walk it up, high ball screen. And, of course, he was super effective. I mean, he's Luka Doncic, one of the best players in the world. Uh, but this is a much more – this is a much better way to, to, to find success long term. I think they, they started to realize you can only go so far with a one-man show – they went and got another guy, another superstar in Kyrie to, to join forces. And now they're starting to push the ball more. And I think just that trade alone has really helped them re-engage and reevaluate their offense. And, uh, you know, that that just naturally has, has led to their defense. And uh, quite honestly, they've been my favorite uh, post-trade deadline team to watch thus far. Well, we, we said it right at the at the deadline, and I mentioned it about because there were a lot of criticism of the trade just because it's Kyrie and how he would fit in. And I I just made the point uh, last week that, you know what, the West is what this is before KD came along, that deal, but the West is wide open right now. And if you're Dallas, why not give it a shot? I mean, what team currently constructed, you know, that's healthy, it really scares you out West. I know the Nuggets have a good 
uh, a great team. But are you really so scared of the Nuggets you're not going to go for it? Memphis is starting to come back to reality. The Kings, do you trust their de- – are you scared of their defense? You know, you're afraid you can't score on, on the Kings. And then the Suns, which is, you know, we would like to think are the favorites, but they got to get on the court first. We got to see KD healthy. We got to see Chris Paul healthy. We got to yep. see Devin Booker healthy and playing. So if you're the Mavericks, why shouldn't I try and make this deal and give it a shot? I have as good a chance really as anybody in the West as it's currently constructed to me. Yeah, totally agree there. And um, as we move on to our second quarter here, I'm just going to go out, go ahead and come out and address the elephant in the room here, Bruce. I, I can kind of, Feel some tension brewing between you and I here on tonight's show. And uh, let's talk about uh, Tuesday night's matchup. We got a big one on our hands as the Boston Celtics are going to visit the Milwaukee Bucks. And uh, we'll start with you, Bruce, as the uh, Celtics extraordinaire. What are you looking forward to in this matchup? And uh, tell us a little bit about how you think that one might go. First of all, I think Milwaukee is going to win. Okay. Uh, Jason Tatum is listed as doubtful for the game tomorrow night or t- tonight as people listen to this against the Bucks. Um, look, Boston's been playing pretty well. Four straight wins, six and one in their last seven, 15 and four in their last 19. Best road record in the league, 18 and nine. Best overall record, 41 16. Uh, Tatum has been, you know, the MVP. But if they're playing Milwaukee on Tuesday night without, Jalen Brown, without Marcus Smart, and without Jason Tatum, it's like the way Milwaukee's playing with their 10-game winning streak and just, you know, getting getting you know great contributions from Chris Middleton uh, and just, you know, just good team play. I don't I don't see Boston coming away with a win on uh, on Tuesday night. But if somehow they could figure out a way to win that game. Wow, what a mental edge they're going to have over Milwaukee moving forward. But I'm really not feeling that right now, Ross. So uh, we're still going to be friends no matter what happens. (laughs) Absolutely. World B, you're our innocent, non-biased guy here uh, on the podcast tonight. What's your takeaway with uh, Bruce's thoughts and going into this matchup? Well, I was just reflecting on what it used to be like to have a team in contention to be able to talk about instead of my <laughs> team that's trying to battle to just to get out of the play-in tournament and stuff. But uh, this is, you know, on paper, quote-unquote, on paper, this is a really a as good a matchup as you can get. You got two the uh, two teams in the top uh, – the only two teams in the top five in offense and defense. Uh, well, not I, I take that back. Not offense and defense, just uh, two top five uh, defense because Boston's the only team that has a top five in both offense and defense. They're number three offense or number um, four in, in defense. So it's really a impressive thing for the Celtics. The difference in for in between these two teams, Milwaukee is, is actually 21st in offensive efficiency. However, they have been picking it up in February. They're just outside the top 10. So more to the point with a 10-game winning streak and getting everybody healthy, Things seem to be turning around for them. Um, be very interesting to see. The first matchup was a, was a good one, but Boston really blew them away in the second half, outscored them by 20, 77, 57, I think. And Tatum had a great game, 41. Giannis had 27 and 9. So, if, you know, it's that Christmas Day thing that lived up to the billing. But, you know, the when healthy, you know, you assume, you know, if these guys can be healthy, you know, they look like the two best teams in the league. Yeah. Are, what I'm really – Go ahead, ahead, go ahead, Russ. No, 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 you go. I was just going to say, I'm really looking forward to seeing Mike Budenholzer and how he decides to incorporate uh, former Celtic Jay Crowder into the mix in Milwaukee as well. This should be his uh, debut at home where he's got some familiarity with the city of Milwaukee. I'm sure he'll get a nice warm welcome, but uh, should be a good opportunity to see kind of how he meshes with that group. I would assume he's going to probably come off the bench the first couple of games, maybe earn his way into the starting lineup. But I think the big key, Bruce, as you mentioned, with uh, your two stars more than likely, unfortunately, being out for this one, if the Bucs can go ahead and just shut down the three-point line for a guy like Derek White, who's been extremely hot recently, I got to give credit to Derek White. He's been playing phenomenal basketball. 
Uh, I think they're going to have a pretty good chance to win this one. But, uh, you know, for a team that's just coming off a road trip, uh, no better place to kind of incorporate a new piece like Jay Crowder than on your home floor and against a good team. And whether or not, you know, the Celtics do have their stars, they do have a fantastic system in place under head coach Mike Mazzula. And um, I think it's still going to be a fun one regardless. You know, they're the only team, the Celtics, that haven't lost 10 games on the road yet. They have the best road record in the league. So they're going to, you know, the way they've been the last few years and this year, it's it's going to be tough if, if they don't have at least one of their three stars. But that's sure. a team that's resilient. They've proven it time and time again. When they're backed to the wall, somebody steps up. You always hear next man up. Well, the Celtics very often uh, epitomize that mentality. You know, Ross, you mentioned Derek White. Uh, he's played tremendously well during Marcus Smart's absence. Uh, last 10 games, he's averaging over 19, which is eight above his average. And he's actually a really good shot blocker. He's one of the best shot blocking guards in the entire NBA. Uh, and he was just named Eastern Conference Player of the Week for his you know work last week. So that's a nice, uh, a nice thing for him. But I want to circle back on Jay Crowder for a minute because – Who's going to lose minutes when he is integrated? Is it going to be Pat Connaughton? Is it going to be Joe Ingles? Is it going to be Chris Middleton having to maybe move to the two spot and open up some minutes for Jay uh, in the front court? How do you see uh, Bud working him in and who is going to be kind of the loser in that uh, as far as at least so far as minutes are concerned? Yeah, that's a great question, Bruce. I think it's going to be uh, – Minutes shaved off both Pat Connington and Grayson Allen. And believe it or not, I think Grayson Allen's going to be the one that uh, sacrifices the most uh, with this acquisition. I think Pat Connington has shown a better ability to, you know, get on the defensive rebounding attack. Uh, he's, he's been a great rebounder for this Milwaukee Bucks team. He's been a little bit more consistent shooting the three ball recently here for the team. And I think Pat and Grayson Allen are really going to be battling for those minutes and whoever's shooting the ball better is going to get more time. But I think, you know, in just a few games, Jay Crowder is going to be playing starter like minutes for this ball club. And, uh, you know, it should be interesting to see how those other wing guys, as you suggested, I think Wes Matthews is another guy who's probably going to just be collecting some dust on the bench now with this acquisition. But I do want to bring up Wes Matthews because I think what's huge in this situation is of course, Jay Crowder hasn't played a single game all season. Uh, of course, I, I believe he's in basketball shape. He, he posted a ton of different workout videos to try to prove that he has been, you know, staying ready and things like that. But if he does struggle out of the gates, I will say that I do know that Wes Matthews and Jay Crowder have a relationship from their time as Marquette Golden Eagles and, and being alumni uh, of Marquette. And I really do think it's going to pay dividends for for Wes Matthews, a guy that's been on the Bucks for a few seasons now to really help him seamlessly transition uh, into the heart of the season where the Bucks are looking to stay atop the East. So that 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 should be an important factor for this Bucks team. But uh, that's a great question, Bruce. I would say Grayson Allen's going to probably lose most of the time, um, but I guess we'll just have to see. He's actually and, played really well for those guys. I mean, you know, he's he's one of their more reliable three-point shooters. Um, yeah, but I wanted to, I wanted to throw some love at the Milwaukee Bucks because they won 10 games in a row. Okay. Giannis has just been sick during that time. I mean, 37, 13, five and a half assists, almost 60% from, from the field. Um, Brooke Lopez has been great, but out of that 10 game winning streak, Bobby Portis has missed the last nine of those games. And he's been an incredibly important guy on their team. Not only, you know, third leading scorer, but second leading rebounder. So whatever buttons Bud is pushing out there, um, you gotta you gotta give him a ton of credit for holding that thing together. And they're playing their best ball of the year with with Bobby Crazy Eyes out of the lineup. Yeah, Bobby Crazy Eyes actually leads all bench players in double doubles on the season. So uh, he has had a tremendous impact on the Bucks this year, and. Uh, Kind of surprised, maybe not just deadline, but you know, with the buyout market coming up and the, the Bucks having two roster spots that are open currently, 
I think they've got to add another big. I think they're kind of in a situation almost like the Clippers. They got Brooke Lopez. Bobby Portis is, of course, sidelined. I thought Dwayne Dedwin would have been someone they would have been interested in. He, of course, just signed today with the Philadelphia 76ers. But keep an eye on the Milwaukee Bucks. I think they're going to if – if a guy comes available that's a, a five-man, I think they got to be calling the agent and trying to get him in a Bucks uniform. And with that, we will go ahead and re go to our halftime here, and we'll be back here with the second half. And we're back with the third quarter as we just finished up talking about the Milwaukee Bucks in the absence of Bobby Portis. There's another absence out in the Western Conference that certainly – deserves a discussion, and that is down in New Orleans with Zion Williamson. Williamson suffered a setback in his return to the floor with the Pels. And, uh, Bruce, what's your takeaway from this news on Zion? Do you think the Pelicans still stand a chance out west, or uh, are you going to hit the panic button? I'm starting to really lose my patience with Zion Williamson. I know that he's voted as an all-star starter. He didn't deserve it. He doesn't play enough games. Um, but I'm starting to wonder, is there a number one overall selection by the Pelicans in the draft jinx when it comes to health? Because Zion hasn't been able to stay healthy. Uh, Anthony Davis, who was drafted number one overall by the Pelicans, has never been able to stay healthy. So I'm wondering, are there, I mean, look, two totally different cases, okay? Zion Williamson, because of the way he plays with all of that above-the-rim action, he's carrying a lot of weight on his frame, and we've talked about this, and a lot of people have talked about it. Mark Jackson's talked about it on ABC. Um, the guy's got to figure out a way to drop some weight because his career is not going to reach any sort of potential if he can't stay healthy. And the kind of injuries that he's having are the kind of injuries where if you can take off some of that weight, all that torque on your on your knees, your joints, your ankles, your feet. I mean, foot injuries have derailed so many NBA careers, and I'm just worried that that's where Zion Williamson is headed if he doesn't do something. And again, uh, is he just being babied by the organization because they're terrified that he's going to leave and nobody's got the guts to say to him, listen, here's what you have to do. I don't know, but um, I, I, I'm really kind of losing my patience with the guy. Will be well. It's it's a disappointing situation because of where they were uh, not too long ago. I mean, they were in the top four. They were you know challenging uh, for supremacy in the West. They were really on the rise, and we all talked about. It. They were by uh, team to watch right before they went. You know, right afterward, they went in the tank. So I guess some of the blame falls on me. Uh, they. <laughs> Yeah, they've lost what eleven out of out of fourteen. Now they they yeah. followed their ten game losing streak by winning three in a row. Then they lost the other night. So now it's you know it's three out of three and eleven. The last fourteen, they're still over five hundred when it's all said and done because of how great they were at the start. They're still like a game over five hundred and just a game behind uh, the Clippers in for that playing. You know to avoid the playing spot. Right now they're in seventh. They want to get to six, obviously, and they're just just behind the Clippers. But the, you know the impact of not having Zion is obviously um, pretty clear. When they when he's on the court, they average 116 points per hundred possessions. When he's off, it's less than 112 per hundred possessions. That's a big difference. And he's actually a pretty he has a big impact on their defense. When he's on the court, they give up less than 110 points per hundred possession. In this day and age of of high offensive efficiency that's a pretty good number to have and when he's off the court it's almost 113 points per 100 possessions he hasn't you know his impact is not just on offense so and the disappointing thing of it all is Brandon Ingram just starting to play well he came back from his injury and he really struggled for the for three games the final three games in January where he shot about 30 percent from the from the field and now he's coming back in February so far, 29 points a game, five rebounds, almost seven assists a game, shooting uh, over 54% from the field. He's, you know, he's in a groove. So now you just wish 
if, you know, just for basketball's sake, you know, you want everybody healthy to see what they can do. And the, you know, the Zion problem with his injuries or whatever, it just, it, it curtails that. It just derails everything that they're trying to do. And I know Bruce is talking about, well, who's going to stand up to Zion and tell him he's got to lose. Well, it's getting a lot easier to, to do that. The leverage is falling more and more at the Pelicans with each injury and each aggravation of the injury that comes up. At some point, it's not going to be that hard to tell him you got to do this or it, what's the big loss? If you can't be on the court, what's the loss of not having Zion around? Yeah, no question about that. And I'm glad you mentioned Brandon Ingram because he certainly is playing much better as of recently. He scored 25-plus in each of his last five games. And in those five games, including tonight, uh, he's got three seven-plus assist games. So he's becoming a playmaker for this ball club that certainly is taking some pressure off C.J. McCollum, um, which certainly should help their backcourt there. And uh, defensively, Herb Jones is starting to look a little bit better as well. So there are some signs of hope in New Orleans, but I agree with you guys both as far as what's their ultimate potential without Zion. I just don't see them being a Western Conference uh, division champion without without a guy that has such a tremendous impact when he's on the floor. And uh, much like you, Bruce, I'm starting to really question whether or not, you know, he's durable. I, I just don't know if that knee and, and that body with all that weight is going to be able to uh, uh, withstand an NBA season. And that really, you know, puts a big dent into his value. And, you know, look, it's not like all is lost there. They're really just a game and a half out of the four spot. They're sitting at uh, tied for seventh with Minnesota right now, 28 losses. The number four team, Dallas and Phoenix, both have 27. So they're kind of right there. So, if, yeah. you know, but but even when he comes back, which now it seems it's now weeks away still, um, you know, in two weeks, you know, with all the head-to-head games that are going to be played between those teams that are all bunched together. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Every loss is like two losses, and every win is almost like two wins because you're talking about, you know, the people that are adjacent to you in the standings. So um, even when he does come back, I mean, how how long is it going to take them to remember how to play together again? We'll just have to see. Willie Green's a good coach, and I would have faith in him to push the right buttons, but uh, – you kind of got to feel bad for the guy. I mean, he's he's playing with one hand behind his back. And the, the difference with this team, as you mentioned, they were a, a conference contender. They've gone, they, they weren't just a playoff team before all this happened. They were really serious contenders in the West. And now they've gone from that. Yeah, they can still make the playoffs or make the play-in tournament, whatever. There's still there's enough talent there to be good. But we're talking about a team that was really challenging, that was we thought was seriously challenged for the West, who could challenge the Suns who the, and the Warriors and the Nuggets and the Grizzlies. They were right there. And now it's just like, well, we don't think they're not going to make the playoffs, but they're just, you know, there's not – the pieces aren't there, so how far can they go without the pieces? And that's the disappointment of it all. Yeah, I mean, change, the depth – I was I'm just going to say the depth can yeah. – the depth can certainly go ahead and you know keep you in a playoff spot, but it's only going to take you so far in the playoffs if you don't have your stars, Bruce. Not to change the subject, but you know we we briefly said something about Memphis and how you know they've sort of come back to the pack a little bit. I think what we're learning about Memphis, and we saw it against Boston on Sunday, that team is not anything close to what they're have been without Steven Adams out on the floor. I think nobody can say that he's the MVP of their team. That's John Morant. And I don't think there's any question about that, but he might be their second most important player. I mean, he's the, one of the top rebounders. He's one of the strongest guys. He gives them presence in the paint. He's a legitimate tough guy. And on Sunday against Boston, this is a team that has been at or near the top of the rebounding differential for the entire season. They were out-rebounded 54-34 by Boston on Sunday. 20-rebound difference, okay? This is a team that makes its money in the paint uh, and and has been a rugged defensive and rebounding team. 
and so until Steven Adams gets back, they're three and seven in the 10 games he's missed. So until they get that guy back, I mean, I, I wouldn't look for Memphis. I mean, Sacramento's closer to Memphis than Memphis is to Denver right now. And the and the problem is, Bruce, to your point, the rebounding is particularly on the offensive end, because we've talked about it over and over. The Grizzlies are a high efficiency team, but they can't shoot. They, there's a reason they went and got Luke Kennard to try and boost their perimeter shooting to go along with Desmond Bain. Now they have two of the best three-point shooters in the league. They're still a lousy shooting team. So you need somebody to grab those rebounds. And Steven Adams was excellent at that. He was at the top or near the top in offensive rebounds uh, for years. And now without him, like you say, without him, who's if they're not getting any better shooting, who's going to grab those rebounds? Yeah, and with Steven Adams, Bruce, to kind of go along with your point on how effective he's been for this Grizzlies ball club, he's notoriously known around the league as the league's best screener. I mean, whether it's an off-the-ball screen to free up a shooter or an on-ball screen for John ja Morant, defenders across the league have said, that's one guy you want to try to avoid because he is so strong, he is so wide, and he just does, a, does such a good job establishing that screening position, and it's always been effective for the Memphis Grizzlies. So uh, I'm sure they are, in, you know, desperately hoping he can come back here soon. So uh, we'll have to keep an eye on the Grizzlies and uh, keep an eye on those Pelicans to see whether or not they can uh, maintain their position out West. And for our fourth quarter, got an exciting development for all our listeners. I teased it on a recent podcast, but I did go out guys and buy a pack of basketball cards. Thought we'd have some fun with the, uh, Panini's NBA Hoops 2022-23 pack. And uh, I wanted to display this on camera for you. Look who's on the cover. I had to go with this one. Paolo Bonchero, World oh, B's guy. That's right. All right. So, Rookie of the year. It, yeah. So it's kind of a little bit like word association. I'm just going to open this pack. It's still sealed. And uh, we're just going to go one by one and maybe have, a, have some fun with, uh, you know, Quick memory on that player, quick stat, or uh, something about his team. All right. And we'll see if we get any autographs or game-to-use cards. Ooh, we got a good first one here do, for our do, Phoenix do, fans. Do, 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 do. Devin Booker. Sniper. Sniper. The pride of the state of Michigan. Often injured this season, but ready to explode. All right, World B, we'll give you the next card. All right. <laughs> Tyrese Maxey. Instant offense. He's, okay. he's uh, you know, when the, when you talk about the big threes on, on different teams, he's he's that guy in Philly to go along with Harden and and uh, and Embiid. It doesn't, he doesn't have the star power of a big three guy, but that's who they, that's how they view him. And, He's he's instant offense, and he's gotten better every year. He's, he's one of those great guys in that he gets better as his career has gone on each season. So he's uh, he's going to be a key for them. Uh, I don't think they can win the East if he's not playing well, put it that way. I agree, yeah. All right, next card. This is a sweet rookie here, Bruce. Jaden Ivey. Ooh, doesn't play like a rookie at all. Is on a bad team. This guy's got hoop IQ. He's got court savvy. His mother is the coach at Notre Dame, Neil Ivey. He's got great basketball DNA. Uh, future, very, very bright. Love it. All right, Suns fans, get excited here. World B, you got a nice challenge on this one. Darius Baisley. Oh, the guy, <laughs> one of the many from the Thunder that uh, came aboard in uh, – in Phoenix land, but he, he was part of a uh, youth movement that the, for the thunder the last couple of years. And he was one of those guys I used to, you know, in my job of writing notes, whatever, he was one of those guys. They, the thunder used to start lineups where the oldest person was 22. They had starting five with all these guys. They had 19, 20, <laughs> 20. And he was part of that group. And that, yeah, I always had a kick out of, out of him. Uh, you, you, I don't know where his ceiling is. I don't think it's uh, all-star ceiling 
type, but no, he's so young. You hope he can develop into a solid, significant player on a good team. Lord knows, being on the Thunder the last few years, he's earned he's earned that. Yeah, and he was a guy that signed a big time New Balance shoe deal before he even entered the league. He forgo college, and uh, I think he signed it for a million dollars. So he got paid before he even got to the league. All right, Bruce, here's a disappointing rookie for you. Don't know how much this rookie card is going to be worth. Johnny Davis, the Washington Wizards. You know, I remember Johnny Davis as a key member of the Portland Trailblazers 1977 championship team, a teammate of Bill Walton and Maurice Lucas. Uh, so, yes, that's what I got on Johnny Davis. He's probably about 70 years old now. Sorry, <laughs> young Johnny. That was an excellent job at deflection there. That was an excellent uh, attempt at deflection. No, that was good. That's who I would have thought of. Wisconsin right, guy. World B, you're getting your shot at a good rookie here. This is a sweet one. Chet Holgram. What size crutches does he use? Oh, no. I, I, I feel bad for the kid because you watch him in summer league and he really looked like um, he was going to be a player. You know, I mean, really, you, you had questions about him because of his his uh, his size. How, how could he handle the rigors of the NBA and that like. And he went out in the summer league and really balled. I mean, re- was really impressive. And then he uh, th- he hurt himself in a was it an exhibition game thing yeah, up in, yeah, Seattle in Seattle and stuff. Yep. Yeah, course. which was really a you know it was just a disappointment because he's one of those guys you want to see on the court. Let's see what he has. And based on what he showed in the summer league, obviously that's not the NBA or whatever. But he looked like a guy who had skills that. How many players for his size have that kind of skill set? There aren't many. And he looked like he was somebody that could handle life in the NBA. And how good would he be with, you know, uh, SGA right now? Yeah, I nicknamed him Sean Bradley 2.0 when when he was Ooh. drafted because he you know because he looks you know he's like seven feet tall and like 190 pounds, just like his teammate Poco down in uh, Oklahoma City. Poco, yeah. <laughs> All right, Bruce, you're gonna love this one. Okay. PJ Tucker. Oh, tough as nails, gritty veteran kind of guy you want to be in a foxhole with. Uh, you know, kind of like, you know, a, a Marcus Smart type of a personality. It's like he'll he'll challenge the opponents, he'll challenge his teammates. He's a winner and uh someone uh that all NBA fans that know anything about the game respect even though his numbers are not really there, but you know that that you know when push comes to shove, you want him as your teammate, Mister Corner Three. Okay, World B, Jonas Valanciunas. Oh, one of my favorites there. He's just <laughs> like well, he was just like Stephen Adams was. Yeah, you know, they actually another. got traded for each other. Yes, yeah. but he was just like he's just like that. He's a, a, a tough guy. Grabs the offensive rebounds and was a was a better scorer than Adams Adams was, and he's a key part of of what uh, what they or he's been a key part of what they try to do for uh, New Orleans and stuff. So he's you know I I've been a fan of his for a long time. His career seems to be going on the on the uh, back nine, I guess, of, of his career. But he's still a productive player. He still does those things. If you can set screens and grab offensive rebounds, you, you're going to last a little bit longer than you probably should in this league. And he'll be one of those guys. He's not he's not done yet, but he's on the, the back nine of his career. And his hair never moves when he's playing. <laughs> not a hair out of place with Jonas Valanciunas. <laughs> All right, Bruce, I'm going to save you on this one, and I'll take it because he's one of my favorite best-kept secrets here. Brandon Boston, Jr., Kind of along the lines of a Darius Baisley. Hasn't played much. He is young. All right. He actually started this past weekend for the Clippers, believe it or not. Um, I have always liked him in the short stretches I've seen him play. Um, I would love to see him go to a team like Charlotte where they could just roll him out there. Or, hey, put him on the San Antonio Spurs. He could chuck up some shots, probably put up some points. But uh, haven't lost value on Brandon Boston Jr. yet. Just hope he can get out of 
Clipper land where they're obviously shooting for a playoff spot. Well, he, he but, can't be on the Spurs. He may they, he may lead them to some wins. He yeah. can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I can't do Probably that. can't do that in Charlotte either, the way they're going. So, yeah, he's got nowhere to go. Hey, Charlotte put up 144 on Monday night against Atlanta and won 144 to 138. A lot of defense played in that game, people. All right, Bruce, next one's for you. Christian Wood. Ooh, Christian Wood, if he stays in the league long enough, he'll probably set the all-time record for most teams played for. I think <laughs> uh, I think Billy Owens, and I'm trying, I'm drawing a blank on the other guy who played Ish for like in there. Ish Smith, but then there was there was somebody. Uh, oh, Tony Massenberg. Tony, Tony Massenberg, Massenberg played, yes, he indeed. played on about twelve or thirteen teams. Christian Wood is young enough where he really has a legitimate shot to set the all-time record for most teams played for. I think he's on team number seven or eight already. Wow. All right. I'm going to let World B take one of Bruce's guys here. Malcolm Brogdon. Maybe the sixth man of the year this year. I mean, he's a guy who, former rookie of the year, he's a huge part of the Celtics' success. Uh, he he's a twenty. He's a guy who can score twenty off the bench uh, any night. He's really uh, improved his shooting, and you know they're the way they are where they are in large part. Obviously, Jason the big three and Jason Tatum being the MVP, but having Brooklyn Brodin coming off the bench for them is huge. He's probably the sixth man of the year, or if not, he's second. All right, Bruce. Tyler Hero. Oh, Tyler Hero. He's He reminds me a little bit of like a, a Jason Williams white chocolate sort of a guy, right? He's got swagger. He, he'll he keep shooting. He could be one for 11, and he'll take that shot at the end of the game, and he'll probably make it, okay? Uh, I think I like Tyler Hero a lot. He's got attitude. He's got swag. He's got that Miami Heat vibe about him. Uh, love Tyler Hero. World B. Gary Trent Jr. Surprise, he's still in Toronto. Yeah, um, me too. I'm just at at the deadline. He was one of those names that you heard mentioned. Uh, his you want him? He's a good shooter, but people want need him to be a great shooter, and maybe that's why he's not. He didn't get sent anywhere because he's just not. He has shown the capability of being a great shooter, an elite shooter. He's just not not consistent enough uh, for me and, you know, probably for others, I guess, at this point. But he's, you know, if he can get it together, he's a terrific uh, – he can be a terrific uh, shooter. All right. Bruce, last one for you. Going to test you a little bit here. DeAndre Hunter of the Atlanta Hawks. DeAndre Hunter uh... – Reminds me a little bit of just kind of like a, a good, you know, wing guy. I don't watch a lot of Atlanta Hawks games. I will admit that. Uh, DeAndre Hunter, was he a Virginia guy or a Vanderbilt guy? Virginia won the national right. championship. Yeah, round. that's what I thought. So he was he was teammates with, you know, some good guys on that team, championship player. Um, I wish I had a little bit more. I got to watch more Atlanta Hawk games, I guess. Yeah, the Hawks, right. when they, he's part of the starting lineup, when the Hawks – have their starting five out there healthy, which include, you know, DeJounte Murray and Trey Young and DeAndre Hunter and uh, Capella and, and uh, the last name escapes me at the moment. They have a starting five offensively that is as good efficiency-wise as any in the league. They're right up there in the top two or three lineups. Now, can they defend? They showed it tonight. Not really, but uh, but the offensively-wise, Hunter is part of a really good starting lineup offense-wise in Atlanta. And for the last card, this segment couldn't end any better than this, guys. This is a throwback card, all right? This is historic already. A New York Knicks Cam Reddish card. <laughs> World B, you know that's what? yours. You yeah, you got to take that one. That's not that's him. <laughs> you know what? When you started this, I almost made the I, – I promise you, I almost made the joke that – the first card you're going to pick out of the thing was Cam Reddish. <laughs> I, in my head, I let it go. And, I mean, somebody wake me up the minute he actually lives up to this 
supposed potential that he has. I, you know, I hear it at every stop. I, and, you know, he's getting just yet another one where he's, uh, you know, oh, he's not getting the time he deserves. All he needs is playing time. Well, there's a reason. He's just not, he's not good at what he does. He, he's a, he's becoming very close to being a 13th man on a 12 man rotation. You know, it's just, Ouch. well, I mean, where are you, <laughs> how, what, what do you say about a guy who can't play at any stop he's at? I mean, he had a golden opportunity. To, they gave him a shot in New York and he couldn't shoot. Yeah. If you're a shooter and you're, or you're supposed to be a shooter and you can't shoot the ball, they're kind of running out of things for you to do. So it's like, what are you going to do? Another yep, overrated so. dookie. That's well, becoming that. And the Knicks had their fill with R.J. Barrett. But I'm bum. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, well I want to think. I'll take him if you don't want him. <laughs> you can have him. <laughs> Give us Malcolm Brogdon. Nah, I'll keep him. No, I didn't think so. Yeah, I didn't think that was going to go far. <laughs> well, I want to thank you guys for having some fun with me here tonight with the basketball card segment. For those of you listening, unfortunately, we didn't pull an autographed or a game used uniform card but if you're interested in acquiring some game use podcast trading cards reach out to me on social media and i'll send them your way we do have some exciting rookies in there with chet holgram and Jaden ivy so if anyone's interested shoot me a message and i'll spread some love to those that are listening here on the 48 minutes podcast but with that we get to our final thoughts segment and uh bruce you got any final thoughts tonight Well, yes. I mean, this show is going to drop on Valentine's Day. So I would first of all like to wish my lovely wife, Nancy, a happy Valentine's Day. And also, uh, I would like to wish Denzel Valentine a happy Valentine's Day. And I'd like to wish Isaiah Hartenstein and Josh Hart of the Knicks a happy Valentine's Day as well. So, and all of our ladies out there who listen to this show, and I'm sure that there are thousands, uh, happy Valentine's Day to all of you. Well said. World B, I'll let you follow that one up. Yeah, that's that's just dandy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, world. I know. <laughs> I will uh, I will assume that my wife was part of the happy Valentine's wishes, so I won't uh, pile on as far as that goes. But I would, uh, it, in all seriousness, I, I, my final thought was, I was trying to figure out at what point do we start taking the Cleveland Cavaliers seriously as a title contender. Um, they won on Monday night for their seventh win in a row, nine and two in their last 11. Um, this is a team that we just don't, we talked about the trading deadline. Oh, they don't need to do much. They're not really contenders. They're thinking about in the, in the future. And I, and I'm looking at it and I go, well, why not? I mean, here's a Cavalier team that has two 20 point scores and Donovan Mitchell and Darius Carl, two, two nine rebound per game guys. And Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, and they're the number one defensive team in the league, and now they become a top ten offense. So I know they're not the glamour team like uh, the Celtics, like the Sixers, like the Bucks. But why why can't we take this team seriously as a title contender? As the how many teams really want? I mean, there's the Celtics are great, the Bucks are great, and the Sixers are looking really strong. But so are the Cavaliers. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, on that note, Kevin Love is another guy that we would like to wish a happy Valentine's Day to as well. Love is in not the Bo- air. Not Bob Love of the Bulls, formerly of the Bulls. We don't want to. No, no, that one goes past. That, oh, that one's past my guy's, era there. It's got a number up there in the rafters right next to Michael. I have yeah, Bob okay. Love's autograph on a program from a game I went to in 1971. I still have it. Well, that's your fault for not mentioning him. In the uh, <laughs> for overlooking him in your little uh, soliloquy there, I'm going to bring it to show and tell next time around. I think we should have show and tell. <laughs> hey, we could do we could do a show and tell segment. That could be a lot of fun as well. Maybe that's a, a a podcast idea. But as for my final thought, I was looking at the San Antonio Spurs as a team that's of course now tanking. They certainly got a great tank job going on. I'm curious to see who we might be talking about a week from now, joining them in that party. I think there's going to be some teams that separate themselves as far as just clearly trying to lose games and, and trying to secure one of those top 
spots for the percentages to get Wembem Yama or even uh, Scoot Henderson, another top prospect in this year's draft. So I'm real curious just to keep an eye on the standings and keep an eye on some of those bottom tier teams to see who else tries to join that San, An San Antonio club of just throwing away the rest of the season. So um, with that, that's going to do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Belief. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you back here on Friday. Take care.